I am so glad that you decided to listen in today. Whether this is your second time with us or you're tuning in for the very first time, welcome to a Friend for You podcast. This is Greg Rice, your host. Last week in episode one, we learned that heathen people are very valuable to God. Even those who thumb their nose at God, who spit in his face, are loved enough that God runs to you. Our first week, we drew in listeners from uh, several states in the United States and even a couple of other countries. We had listeners from Michigan, North Carolina, Virginia, Pennsylvania, Iowa, Maryland, and Ohio that I know of. Uh, and there, uh, there are so many people that have connected into this podcast. And I want you to know that if you connect into this podcast weekly, you're now a part of a larger movement of friends. And again, I want to thank you for coming along with me. I'd like to give a few shout outs to some of the friends who have been in contact with me this past week because they're helping me along the way as I put this podcast together. A friend named Brian encouraged me by telling me that people need to hear teaching like this. Barb said that the podcast was food for thought. Brad, he told me that the messages definitely hit home. Artie said that it was powerful and the message touched her heart. Chuck, he took a a little bit of time to encourage me to look into the recording volume, some of the mastering behind the scenes stuff of the podcast, and I really appreciate that, Chuck. Uh, Ethel, uh, she sent me a very encouraging reply to the message saying that it meant something to her. Uh, Jackie, now Jackie was the very first person to congratulate me on my new position of stay-at-home dad. (laughs) Uh, Mike spoke very kindly to me uh, and and spoke very kindly of my family as he was he was sharing the podcast on his own social media and then there was another Mike who uh, appreciated me putting myself into the story as the older son he said it helped him to relate uh, to the message now I want you to know I'm hoping to drop a podcast right here weekly uh, the first several discussions are going to focus on how Jesus, the friend that sticks closer than a brother, interacts with others. And I hope through this podcast that people all over the country and all around the world will be encouraged in their relationship with Jesus. Something exciting that is in the works is the friend of a friend interviews that are coming soon. I have a goal of doing a monthly interview with a friend that's making an impact for Jesus. Now this could be friends, neighbors, pastors, disciples, or maybe even you. Once a month, the podcast will become a discussion of how a friend is being a friend of Jesus even during the pandemic. Now today, we're going to continue our look at how God, and specifically Jesus, shows himself to be a friend and more. Luke chapter 8 will share the circumstances of two individuals who had their lives changed forever. But I want us to notice that Jesus helped both Jairus and the woman known as the woman with the issue of blood. The power of perspective changes when Jesus enters your life. Sometimes the high and mighty are brought low. Sometimes the outcast is treated as important. But always, 
when we see things from the perspective of Jesus, we receive the power to see our lives change. Today, we're going to look at the same 16 verses in Luke 8 from two different perspectives and see how Jesus might be able to change your life. We are sharing from Luke chapter 8 and starting at verse 40. We will be hearing about some of the events that actually happened around the life of Jesus. Now first, uh, we're going to hear in this section from the perspective of Jairus. Now allow me to give you just a little bit of background on Jairus. Jairus was a synagogue leader at Capernaum. Jairus' responsibilities involved the physical arrangements for the worship services. Uh, the word Jairus in Hebrew means he will awaken. And this might give us a suggestion as to why Jairus is able to believe that Jesus can help him out. It's remarkable that a religious leader at the time would have come to ask Jesus for help in the presence of other people. People were customarily knocked out, kicked out of the synagogue for doing things that were considered uh, sacrilegious. Jairus, talking with Jesus in public, could have meant his being ostracized. But there was something that trumped his fear of rejection and losing his prestigious position at the synagogue. Jairus had but one child, his only daughter. Jairus has a 12-year-old daughter, but the problem is, is that she is dying. No one has been able to help. And in a last-stitch effort, he goes to see if Jesus can heal her. Let's start reading in verse 40 of Luke 8. And I'm reading from the NIV translation. And I'll be stopping along the way to interject some of my own thoughts. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him. For they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of 12, was dying. Jairus is a well-respected man in the community. He worked at the synagogue and was a servant of the people who took care of the physical arrangements of the worship services. Every good Jewish person in the community would have went to the services at the synagogue. It is therefore likely that every one of those people who attended all the time would have came to know those who served in the temple. When you are this well known, you do not simply go into a crowded square of the marketplace and do anything without people noticing. This would have caused Jairus to be very careful about how he spoke and acted while in public. There would have been expectations, and he wanted to always live up to those expectations, particularly as a synagogue leader. Jairus would have undoubtedly followed the 600-plus laws of the Pharisees, purposely associating with a heretic, which is what most of the religious leaders considered Jesus at the time. 
would have spelled certain trouble for the synagogue leader. But look what Jairus does here. He doesn't just go to speak to Jesus. Look at how he addresses Jesus. He comes to Jesus in public and falls at his feet. Wait, wait. That means he went and bowed down before Jesus. He paid him great respect, even though this could have been considered worshiping Jesus. Again, very out of character for a religious synagogue leader. Then Jairus does the unthinkable. He begs for Jesus to come to his house. This is known association with Jesus. To have him at your house would defile you and your entire family. But Jairus has a 12-year-old daughter that's dying. She is his only child. That would have been... That would have been a dishonor for him because he did not have a son that could carry on the family business. At that time, if you only had a daughter, it was not as good as having a son that could carry on the name. So he's already dishonored. But for Jairus, he loved his daughter more than anything, and he would do anything to ensure her health and safety. And she is sick and is dying. He has spent great wealth trying to find help, but nothing is working. She is dying, and I need to go and find something to help her out. Now, I remember when my oldest son, David, was born 10 weeks early in Canada. We were scared. Things were touch and go for quite a while. Many procedure, procedures, including surgery, was required to keep him alive. I remember feeling helpless. We would have, and still would, do anything, anything to provide for the health and well-being of our, of our sons. I was a pastor and had given my life to ministry, and now my son was at death's doorstep. In Canada, they affectionately called David a wimpy white boy because premature white males are the weakest and the least likely to make it. As a religious leader, I knew that God, or I knew God and I knew that he heard me, but I had to learn to trust God in a whole new way. I couldn't do, I couldn't do anything. I, I couldn't study enough. I couldn't be polished enough to help my son. This is how Jairus is feeling. I know the right answers, but this is different. He had to learn to trust in God through different practices than he would normally do. He was willing to do anything, and he did. He went to Jesus, he bowed down, and he begged Jesus to come to his house to heal his sick daughter. Jesus was agreeable and said he would go to the house, but it was a little distance and there were many other people who wanted to see Jesus in the way of their visit. Time would seem to be of the essence because the girl was dying. <laughs> Jairus is saying, come on, man, we got to go. And Jesus is being stopped up by all these people as they go. So let's read on. Picking up the second part of verse 42. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. 
She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately the bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet in the presence of all the people. She told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. At this time, the idea of personal space was not the same as we would have it today. If you want to be around a great teacher, you would get as close as you possibly could. The crowd would be pressing in every step of the way. The verse here says the crowds almost crushed Jesus as they pressed in so much. Now I'm sure from Jairus, I would have been doing everything I could to part the waters so Jesus could get to my daughter. Every time a person pressed close and wanted to get in Jesus' personal space, it was another delay in the important mission of saving my daughter. I'm an important person. Doesn't Jesus know of my work at the synagogue? Come on, man. Forget these commoners and come help my daughter. Who touched you, Jesus? Who touched you? Are you serious? Half of the city has touched you. The other half are pressing in to do the same. Forget this nonsense and let's get to my house. Who is this woman? Why is the teacher spending time talking with her? She's unclean. Doesn't the great teacher know that interacting with an unclean woman means that he is unclean? Man, I hope that, that I don't get contacted in the process of of this and getting myself unclean, man, that's just more work I would have to do to get myself ready to go back into the church. I, I don't need that right now. Wait, wait, wait. What did he just call her? Jesus called this woman a daughter of God, and he's healed her. Why is Jesus taking time with this, this, this woman if he is going to heal a daughter, he needs to come to my house and heal someone important. Besides, he's already agreed to come to my house. Come on, man. You need to get to my house now. Okay, let's let's pick up at verse 49. While Jesus is still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. <laughs> okay. Wow. The shoe is dropped here. Because of all the delays of Jesus, seemingly not being in any hurry to get to the house of Jairus, someone from the house comes with the worst possible news for Jairus. Your daughter is dead. No! I, I've done everything I possibly could to save her. I've spared no expense. I took every risk. I even bowed down to this, this, this Jesus because I believed he could do something for her. And now, now she's dead. I can't believe it. 
there must still be something more I can do. I'm God's leader. I've given my life to serve the synagogue. God should have helped me. The person from the house says, don't bother the teacher anymore. There's no purpose in bringing the healer <laughs> to a dead person. Just let him go about his business. It's obviously too late to do anything now. But Jesus heard the person say, your daughter is dead, don't bother the teacher anymore. And he looks at Jairus, looks him straight in the eye, and he says, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid? What in the world is that supposed to mean? Of course I'm afraid. My daughter's dead. And I'm also mad that you didn't come sooner. I'm mad that God would uh, would help some woman here and not come and help his servant's daughter. I've given my life. I'm, I'm mad that my efforts didn't pay off. Don't be afraid. Yeah, right. And just, just believe. What in the heck am I supposed to believe in? She's dead. And you are nothing. You did nothing to help. And you spent time with all these sinful commoners instead of helping my daughter. Just believe and she'll be healed. Healing comes from, <laughs> comes from someone and comes to someone before they die. What am I supposed to believe? How can I believe that there's anything left for you to do now? Yet there's something still in there. Somehow there's still hope. Jairus, which means he will arise in Hebrew, is still believing for some type of healing, maybe even a resurrection. Jesus continues to the house. Pick up with me at verse 51. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. When Jesus told her, then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Jesus gets to the house and only allows the inner circle, Peter, James, and John, to come with him. They are going with mom and dad to see the daughter and as they're coming to the house there's a great commotion going on all of the people by the house are wailing and mourning now if you don't know this was actually a sign of great wealth at the time uh, at the time there were professional mourners that would go from house to house where the deaths were and, and as they were paid and they would make a ruckus and a commotion over a person and the louder the ruckus and commotion was the more important others would believe that person must be so this group was earning their fee they were making quite a scene over this family's only daughter who has died jesus comes 
And he shouts out to them, stop wailing, quit making a scene. She isn't even dead. She's just asleep. (laughs) The crowd's a little surprised by this, but soon the surprise turned to justifiable laughter. I mean, come on, if anyone knew what death looked like, it was these professional mourners. There were always, they, they were always there around those who had died and needed remembered. They knew what death looked like. She's definitely not just sleeping, she's died. And wishful thinking and positive speaking was not going to change that. Jairus enters the room where his daughter is. He takes his wife. Jesus and the three disciples. And I try to think, what would be going through my mind right now? Well, now, Mr. Messiah, what are you going to do? I I would have expected some type of a big show, maybe a request for something special from the Mr. or or his wife. Jesus just grabbed the daughter's hand and said, my child, get up. That's all it took. There's no spells, no incantations, not even a prayer or a sacrifice. Jesus just says, get up, and she did. I couldn't believe my eyes. One minute all the hope was dead, and my daughter now is alive. (coughs) Excuse me. Working at the synagogue has taught me that there's a process for everything. So ritual and expense needed to be done find favor yet Jesus just healed my daughter because he could he fixed what was not just sick but was dead this was not just a teacher Jesus is something much much more and I believe that Jesus is who he says he is and I'm nothing much compared to him Jesus healed Jairus's daughter and then He tells these astonished and very excited parents not to tell anyone. Of course, how could he do that? Most of the town knows that she's dying. The mourners have made enough of a scene that the town would have known that she was dead. And and all of a sudden, she's well again. Wouldn't people start to figure that something is up? Jairus starts out in this story thinking that he's something special. He's a religious leader. He's a respected leader in his community. And he goes to Jesus, even though it could mean trouble for him because he's hoping Jesus will do something because of his position to help his daughter. Pretty soon he realizes all hope is gone. His daughter dies. But Jesus says, continue to believe. Somehow, somehow Jairus, from deep down inside of him, still believes that something could be done. It's not because he's a religious leader. It's not because of his social position. It's because Jesus intervenes. So Jesus goes to his house, takes his daughter's hand, and raises her from the dead, brings her back to life. Some of us have been in positions where we feel like we've been dying inside. I want you to know, I want me to know that we can be brought back to life simply by 
allowing Jesus to take our hands and stand us up. Jairus' perspective changed. He realized that it's not bad to work in the synagogue. It's not bad to serve the people. But what's really important, what's really important is to allow God, to allow Jesus to do a work in your life, to allow him to stand you up on your feet and to make your life new. Talk about a change of perspective. Now we are going to look at the same story, the same section of scripture from the perspective of the woman with the issue of blood. For this perspective, we will only look at verses 42, the end of verse 42, through verse 48. That's where she enters the story and her perspective. And yes, this woman's very life is changed forever by my amazing friend, Jesus It's interesting that this woman isn't mentioned uh, again, and we can assume that she lived someplace near Capernaum. That's where the where she meets up with Jesus. Um, Jesus was traveling through, but we don't have uh, a name. We don't have any other information about this woman other than she had an issue of blood, and that she is healed by Jesus. Now this woman, she is a labeled person. She's the woman with the issue of blood or of bleeding. She has been bleeding for many years, 12 years. This condition of bleeding would have made her unclean in that society. She would not have been able to participate in public or religious ceremonies. This would have made her an outcast. It was strictly forbidden for a religious leader to touch someone bleeding or having conditions like this a simple touch and that religious leader would have had to go through a very extensive process of getting ceremonially clean again before they could do anything in their religious work everybody knew this for this woman her condition was a life sentence it became her identity it was what caused her to loathe herself Now that we've heard a little bit about this woman, let's read some of these verses from her perspective. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Jesus is traveling through Capernaum on the way to uh, Jairus' house and the crowds, they're pressing in so much that it was almost crushing Jesus. Everybody wanted a piece of the celebrity teacher that could do miracles. Everyone within the walkable area was there. Now, this unclean, labeled woman who felt less than everyone else showed up to see if Jesus could help her. I find it fascinating that this woman was still having faith enough to keep trying. For 12 years, this woman did everything known and possible at the time to find healing that she so desperately needed. 
I've done a little research into medical practices of the time and let me just say that many times I would rather have had the disease or the ailment than the horrible treatments they put people through. <coughs> Excuse me. From not so bad things like drinks or foods or some types of medicines. They also tried burning affected areas, cutting to relieve pressure, using leeches to suck out a affected blood. Uh, and I'm going to stop right there because the treatments were straight up gruesome. This woman would have been through a horrible ordeal. She spent all the money she had. She tried everything, but nothing helped. The woman with the issue of blood came up from behind because she didn't want to be seen. She knew she was, wasn't even supposed to be in public. Being in the crowd was outright wrong. Now she goes for the trifecta of badness by touching a holy man in the crowd. See, Jesus, a traveling teacher, was not to be in any type of contact with a ceremonially unclean person such as this woman. Now, I don't want anyone thinking that she came up and body tackled Jesus or something like that. No, no, no. What it says is she touched the border of his garment, the very bottom. Now, distinguished, distinguished Jews, any uh, of the religious sort anyway, would have been obliged to wear a border at the bottom of their garment. They would have sewed into that border four tassels and that border of their cloak, the outer garment that they would wear. Two of those were in the front, two were in the back of the bottom of their cloak. This woman sneaks up behind Jesus and touches a tassel on the back of Jesus's cloak. This would have been the easiest way to make connection without being found out. Again, I do not know how this outcast despised woman could have kept hope and kept trying. It's commonly believed at that time that anyone who had a disease, abnormality, handicap, or issue of bleeding in this case was believed to have been punished by God. So she was marked on the outside from others and she was internally marked by her own beliefs that she was being punished by God for what she was going through. She continued. And her, her continued faith paid off. She touched the tassel and the bleeding stopped immediately. I can't even imagine the elated feeling this woman must have been feeling. All the wasted years and money and torture she had adored and just the touch of the garment and the smallest amount of faith on her part and she's healed. But this is where the story takes an interesting twist. Pick up with me back in Luke 8 at verse 45. Who touched me? Jesus said. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling 
and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he, Jesus, said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. <laughs> Here we have this woman trying to be sneaky and sly about coming into the crowd to find some help without making a big scene. When Jesus stops in the middle of the road with hundreds of people pressing all around him, and he says, who touched me? The woman thinks to herself, oh crap, I'm going to get it now. I find it funny that everyone in the crowd instantly denies touching Jesus. Oh, come on, people. All of them have been touching Jesus. Jesus had been crowded by these people. All these people crowding in had touched him. But I can see everyone kind of raising their hands and making the most innocent face, looking and going, it wasn't me. I don't know what you're talking about. Peter, Peter, who who so often speaks and then thinks about what he's saying, says, the people are crowding and pressing against you. In other words, hundreds of people have been touching you. How can you ask such a silly question, Jesus? Jesus answers Peter, and the crowd hears too. Someone has touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. The touch Jesus was referring to was not crowding or bumping into Jesus. It was a touch with a purpose of seeking healing. There are lots of interesting discussions among Bible scholars as to this healing touch. Jesus is God, so it is not that Jesus didn't know who touched him or that he had healed this woman. That said, this is one time that the healing was not directed from Jesus. This healing happened after the woman in faith touched the tassel on Jesus' cloak. So did the woman initiate the healing or did Jesus know what was going to happen and place himself where the woman would come? I'm just going to leave that conversation to the scholars, but it's interesting to think about. Back to our healed woman. She quickly begins to realize that she's not going to be able to hide her wrongdoing. I want you to notice her posture and fessing up to her actions. She comes trembling and fell at Jesus' feet. This was actions of fear and reverence. Reverence is easy to figure out. She's humbly approaching the person who just healed her. But this woman had felt lowly and outcast for so long that she bowed at the master's feet, and that just seemed right. Now she's trembling because a religious leader who has been defiled or being touched by an unclean person had the liberty to, and by the way, they often took the liberty to belittle, berate that person publicly. According to the law at that time, the woman could have been flogged even to the point of death for such an action, even just touching this religious leader. This woman with the issue of blood, which was her identity, had great reason to be afraid. She thought no one would know, but everyone was finding out. As she's bowing at Jesus' feet, trembling, she tells the whole story 
to Jesus. But not just Jesus. She tells her whole story to the whole crowd that's standing around. She explained her despair and how she tried all the doctors. She explained how she had spent all she had. She explained her plan to touch the garment in faith to seek healing. Now the people, the people readied themselves for a religiously indignant reaction that was going to be coming. But again, just like in the story of the prodigal son that we read last week. By the way, that story could better be called the loving father. Or just like in that story last week, instead of a devaluing, harsh answer, this poor woman... This poor woman doesn't get a harsh answer. Jesus gives a perspective-changing answer. Jesus calls her daughter. This is the only time Jesus called a woman by this particular name, daughter. Wow! The woman had been called many things over the years. It wasn't that the names were wrong, but it was so hurtful being ostracized. This woman, who everyone stayed away from, got some direct attention from Jesus. Daughter, he called me daughter, not unclean, not unworthy, not dirty, or, or even just you woman, he, he called me daughter. Why is this guy treating me with such kindness? Not only is he healing me, he's treating me with honor and respect. Wow. I am someone important to the Messiah. Now that that had to be that 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 thought had to be a game changer for this woman. Her identity was found in Jesus, not her ailment for the first time. And Jesus says, "Go in peace." Peace. Peace is something she had not felt for a long time. This woman, this woman felt a wonderful peace coming down from heaven through Jesus and it changed the perspective and yes, changed the life of this woman. Everything is different. She's no longer damaged goods, no longer a diseased person. One interaction with the master and she becomes a daughter of Israel. She is now worthy to have peace and conduct herself like a follower of the one true son of God. How about you? Has your identity been marked by someone in your life? Maybe there's a health issue. Maybe there's a sin problem. Maybe, maybe you've been rejected or shunned or left by someone. Reach out for Jesus. Just touch the tassel with a, with a little bit of faith and you can be a son or a daughter of God too. This woman came knowing that she wasn't worth anything. She was outcast. She was dejected. She was diseased. She came just just in the slightest hope that Jesus would do something, touches his garment, would, would do something in her life, and her faith is founded. 
Jesus doesn't yell at her. Jesus doesn't beat her or have her beaten. No, Jesus gives her a new identity daughter. She's made clean and whole. And on top of that, she now has the opportunity to have a relationship with God in that community. She can go to religious services again. She can she can do the things she's missed out on. God has changed the perspective and yes, the life of this woman, the daughter of God. No longer the woman with the issue of blood, now the daughter of Israel, the daughter of God. You too can have your life changed if you will allow Jesus to impact you. Just reach out, grab for the smallest, lowest part of his garment and your life too can be changed. I thought I would end this podcast speaking a little bit from the perspective of Jesus. God saw that we lived in a sinful, broken world. We were doomed to an eternity separated from God because of our sin. So God sent Jesus to fix our unfixable problem. Jesus was born the Savior of all people. He lived for 33 years and he never sinned. He fulfilled every prophecy about himself and he gave his life to pay for our sin problem. During the earthly ministry of Jesus, he was traveling on an actual road on an actual day. As Jesus is going past Capernaum, he meets up with two people very much in need of a companion who could make a difference in their lives. Jairus uh, needed healing for his daughter and the woman needed a physical touch for her condition of bleeding. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He is a shepherd that goes in search of lost sheep. So these two are the very reason that Jesus came. Jesus looks and he sees Jairus, a conceited religious leader who served in the synagogue, but has his own ego served by the position that he's in. With that puffed up position, there is power and ego, but also great constraint. There were many expectations of the way religious leaders were expected to conduct themselves and live. And Jesus sees Jairus as a person trapped between ego and expectation. By the way, not much has changed in a couple thousand years. Religious leaders still get caught up with power and expectations. If they are not very, very careful, it can become easy to fall into a way of life rather than an ongoing personal relationship with a saving God. I know this intimately because I used to be one. 25 years of pastoral ministry brought me both ego and expectation, and I didn't live up to either. And when the chips were down, the position and the people didn't come to my aid. Jesus came and he brought life where there was only death left. This is exactly what Jesus did for Jairus. When he, when told that his daughter was dead and that he should not bother Jesus anymore, somehow he was able to keep some glimmer of hope. And Jesus looks right into his heart and says, Don't be afraid, just believe. Jesus desires 
to make believers of all of us. So Jesus decides to follow through and go to the house of Jairus. Why would he do that? Jesus is teaching Jairus, his disciples, and yes, all of us, a very important lesson. It's never too late for Jesus. He is God, and he can always come to our rescue. The last perspective that Jesus changes for Jairus is that we don't need the pomp and circumstance. There does not have to be some formal tried and true ways of always doing things. In the synagogue, everything was full of ritual and specific actions. There was timing for everything. But Jesus is above ritual and tradition. Jesus is God. He walks into the room with the girl, grabs her hand, and says, Get up. Jesus does not have to meet my expectations about how he is going to do things. Jesus is all-powerful, and he can do what he wants when he wants. Isn't it exciting to know that Jesus wants nothing more than to provide you with a way to know God intimately right now? Then an unclean woman comes and touches the hem of Jesus' garment. Again, Jesus knows exactly what's going on. He's decided to heal her. But he asks, who touched me? Jesus wanted the people to know the whole story. Why, why did he want them to know the whole story? Jesus wanted the opportunity to change the perspective of the woman. Not just healing her blood issue, but changing her very identity. She has always been known as the woman with the issue. What do you know yourself as in the back of your mind? I'm the guy that cheated. I'm the guy that can't stop watching those videos. I'm the guy that can't provide for my family. I'm the lady that can't have children. My appearance is keeping me from the in crowd. I can't make people happy. I'm not good enough. How have you identified yourself with your sin issue? Jesus heals Jesus's heart breaks for this woman he knows just healing physically won't fix her he needed to do an entire healing Jesus changes her identity the woman who had been known as the woman with the issue of blood becomes known as the daughter of Israel one of God's chosen people the neat thing is that Jesus always knew that she was one of God's chosen people but she let herself and her issues identify her she is changed when she sees herself as Jesus does Jesus does not see you through the eyes of your problem you are a chosen promised child you are loved so much that Jesus gave his life for you in conquering death in the grave, Jesus made you a new creation through him if you will only accept his identity for you. Friend, Jesus wants to change your perspective. Are you trapped in ego or expectation? Do you have an identity crisis? Jesus wants you to know that you are God's chosen. You can see yourself as Jesus does if you will only receive it today. I'm so glad that you've been willing to spend the last 45 minutes or so listening to this podcast. And I'm sure that many of us needed to hear this message today. 
If you're ready to accept God's identity for yourself, please let someone know that can pray with you and encourage your transformation. If you want to communicate with me, please, please message me on this podcast site or feel free to shoot me an email or a Facebook message. I would love to hear from you and I want to know and I want you to know that I'm praying for your transformation this week. Thanks for joining a friend for you and make sure that you check back again next week. And I encourage you, think of three friends that you know that you can share this podcast with who might appreciate it. It just might change their identity as well. Thanks.